Empower Radio presents Out of the Fog. Join intuitive guide and spiritual teacher Karen Hager for lively, positive conversation with lightworkers, healers, and dynamic wisdom keepers. Get ready for inspiration and connection. This is Out of the Fog on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Karen Hager. Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for a spiritual conversation with enlightening guests, and I'm glad you were here. How can you, how can we get through the worst of what life throws at us? Dr. Alexandra Sharon is my guest today, and she has good techniques, good wisdom for healing and handling trauma. Through her own years spent developing strategies for moving through hardships, she believes that we can rebuild our lives in the wake of illness, divorce, death, and other trauma-inducing circumstances. Are you ready to meet her? Dr. Alexandra Sharon has helped thousands around the globe find confirmation and empowerment through cultural fortune-telling practices. She holds a master's degree in teaching from Seattle University and a doctoral degree from Valdosta State University, and she's written more than a dozen books to help guide readers through crisis and self-discovery. Her new book is Getting Through It. Now, Alexandra connects with the public daily on weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash queen of diamonds. Alexandra, welcome to Out of the Fog. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. What is it that inspired you to write this book? It certainly seems timely to me. Yes. Well, and I didn't write it in 2020. No, I, I started writing it in 2017. Oh, my you know, gosh. Sometimes there's books that I choose to write on a specific topic. And sometimes there's books my publisher asked me to write. And my publisher asked me to write Getting Through It because I'd been through so much in the previous years. And I'll tell you my sob story in a second. But I just wanted to mention, too, that it turned out to be so therapeutic to write. Um, and it definitely helped me record in the moment of my earliest bits of recovery Um how I could be helped and how that can maybe help others like me. Anyway, my story begins with a series of unfortunate events. You know, they say misfortunes come in threes. Well, over the course of just a couple of years, I went through three really big ones. The first one started with a big car accident that I kind of had to learn to walk again kind of situation. And that really sucked. And then no sooner had I healed from that, but still was dealing with psychological trauma when uh, I got cancer and it was very aggressive, uh, very advanced cancer, very fast growing. It was breast cancer and it was stage three C, which is basically the last stop before incurable stage four. And I had to go through five months of chemotherapy and I had to go through 36 treatments of radiation and several surgeries to remove my breasts and my lymph nodes and my ovaries. And then just a, a four weeks after my last surgery, my husband left and oh. with, with my best friend and he even took the dog. It was very much a country song. <laughs> and I was absolutely in despair bear, you know, because that was a very complicated breakup. There was a very brutal custody battle. And, you know, I lost a lot of friends, including my best friend in the process. So I had, 
I kind of didn't have a break between suffering losses and suffering tragic events. And I had to process multiple things at once. And so I'm finding a kinship now with a lot of people who have suffered like me or worse during the year of 2020 Mm -hmm. with the many losses that have occurred. Wow. And it is, I don't know, something that I've just noticed in my own work. It's funny how something that we might feel led to create that we think serves one purpose as time goes on, it turns out that it serves a wider purpose because as I read getting through it, this is um, practical guidance that can help so many more people now because of that context that you couldn't possibly have known about in 2017. Yeah. I mean, I am so fortunate. I have so much gratitude that my editor asked me to write this because at the time I didn't think of myself as any kind of guru or anything. I was still in the thick of it and I was still just, just a normal person trying to get by. And, you know, for most of the books that I write, I'm pretty much an authority on my topics And I'm so fortunate that she asked me to do that because I was able to dig deep into research and kind of practically apply it in the moment. And that was really remarkable. And now this is one of my most, it is the most important book I've ever written. I've written uh, 26 books, right? But I don't like promoting them because I'm really bad at self-promotion. I just do what my publicist at Llewellyn tells me to do. (laughs) And and this one I'm really trying because I feel like it could really help people. And I really want it to get out there. I want to, you know, get everybody to write their libraries and ask them to order it in. I I just want it available because I really think it can help. Why did you choose Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief as a, they, that, that's sort of like the scaffolding that the book is built on. What made you choose that structure? Well, I think it's permeated our culture. The, mm-hmm. you know, the Kubler-Ross stages of grief, everybody's heard that it starts with denial and it has things like anger and bargaining and sadness. And then all, and then after a while it comes around full circle to the conclusion, which is acceptance. And when I was going through so much stuff, I realized how much people were leaning on those paradigms of what my grief and loss should look like in order to to predict how I was going to behave during that time, you know? And I think that in our culture, we feel a sort of pressure to um, get over it immediately and, and go back to work and, you know, all of that stuff move on. And that's just not the way that grief works. In fact, the Kubler-Ross stages of grief aren't accurate, but I chose to use them anyway, because that's how in our culture, we define these stages of grief. The thing that's wrong about it is that it zigzags all over the place. You know, it's not linear at all. It's more like a spiral where sometimes you feel like you're taking two steps back, one step forward, but you're moving on in a different way. It doesn't have to be in order. In fact, when I first wrote this book, I wrote it as a daily devotional, right? Mm -hmm. So there'd be 365 like little exercises, right? And I realized in the process that it had to expand to something that people could jump around depending on how they're feeling that day or that minute. Mm -hmm. 
And so that's how I did it. You can really use it as a reference to just jump around and really dig deep into the feelings that you're having that day. Well, and what I liked about it, I felt like it, I, I didn't feel hemmed in by those stages, but I felt like sort of by starting with those stages, you were opening it up and giving me permission to feel exactly how I was feeling, which is different, I think, than that. Well, there, there is that way of looking at grief where there's kind of this prescriptive way. First, it will be this, and then it will be this, and then you'll feel like this. I've never met anyone who grieved that way um, because all of us are in our own wild and unique and unusual way. All of, we grieve through our own rhythm, just like we're intuitive through our own rhythm and feel through our own rhythm and manifest through our own rhythm. We grieve through our own rhythm. And so what I took away from the book was that although there was this structure here, I have permission to feel what I feel as I'm feeling it. Is that from your own experience, that permission to feel how you're feeling, is that an important part of the, of the healing? So much. And there's a woman who has written a lot of research papers on this topic and a book of her own. Her name is Lynn Fainsberger Katz. And Dr. Lynn Fainsberger Katz wrote about metacognition and emotion. And what that means is feelings about feelings. And what she found in her research is in families where children were allowed to feel their feelings, they developed a healthier way to process through those feelings. And they developed into healthier adults with healthier outcomes in all areas of life, including relationships and earning potential and academia. And that's, that's pretty remarkable because, you know, most of us have had at least some feeling in our lives that was branded not okay. You know, for women, it's often anger, you know, you don't want to be a bitch. Right. And so for men, it might be something like sadness. You're not allowed to be sad. You need to be stoic and you need to get back to work, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why I decided to address these in the book is because there's such violently harmful feelings about feelings in our culture that don't give permission to feel those feelings. And I think that to grieve, you have to feel your feelings. So when we are in the thick of it, when we're at what we feel is the worst part of the lowest part. And I understand that's a moving target, right? Because just when you think you're at the, no, that's not the lowest part, right? But right when we're in the thick of it, when we're feeling in that lowest part, what's something that we can do to allow those feelings to be present, to, to sit with ourselves and do that in a way that feels safe and feels supportive? You have to let go. And that can be the hardest part because for so many of us, when we're at the very lowest low, we are struggling. We're not relaxing into the process. We are struggling back against it. We are going against the flow, trying to right the cart that has fallen over and broken when we could easily find a new cart, right? And so we spend so much energy and emotional energy and we we build up an emotional debt to this this concept uh, that just you need to let go you need to let go and at that point you can start moving where you need to move through through the feeling one of the things that i know that i did especially in the 
at the beginning of the pandemic. I did a lot of doom scrolling where you just sort of <laughs> like wake up in the morning and you pick up your phone before you even get out of bed. And then you just are like scrolling through awfulness after awfulness. And I was struck by what you said in the book about how when bad things happen in our lives, people want to share their horror stories yes. and we can get kind of like we're marinating in horror stories. Can you say a little bit about how we can break out of the horror story mold, whether people are sharing it with us or whether we're inflicting it on ourselves? Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of us intuitively came to the conclusion that we needed to stop our doom scrolling yeah. and move to something else, put ourselves on a good content diet, as it were. You know, you don't necessarily have to quit social media, but you do need to quit the doom scrolling. And I think that that's a big part of it is being able to set up boundaries because social media really blurs these boundaries. We're just reading the uncensored thoughts as they come. And we don't have a moment where we could say, hey, excuse me, could we please not talk about that subject right now? Right. And when in person or on the phone and or on the Zoom call, I highly recommend that you do stop the person mid sentence because chances are they're just doing it automatically. And when you bring it up, they're going to appreciate that because they don't want to be doom scrolling through life any more than you do. <laughs> and so it's okay to say, thank you for sharing that, but I don't need to hear that right now. Exactly. That's what I wrote in my book because it, it it's, it's done out of a place of love. You know, we can say, thank you. You know, we understand why they're sharing that, but we can say, I don't want to hear that right now. So they I can understand there's kind of a time and a place for that negativity. Is there ever, I don't know if this is the right way to ask that. Is there ever a genuine upside to the bad things we go through in life? I'm familiar with like the phony upsides, like, you know, I mean, hey, it'll be better and buck up kid and like, all not the phony stuff, but is there ever really kind of actionable upsides, even when we're really going through it? Yes. And that actionable upside starts from within and it's a thing called compassion. And that's really the only answer I can say is that the biggest gift you get from these experiences, these experiences is compassion. Because, you know, I love what you said about the phony upsides, because we hear that so much like, oh, it's a lesson and, oh, you're a better person or a stronger person for it. But, you know, try and tell that to the face of somebody who just lost a child, yes. you know, try and tell her that she needs to learn from it, you know, and grow and all that crap. It's not true. Right. But the true gift she got is compassion. She got compassion for other mothers in that situation. And then the actionable gift she got is that she can reach and touch their hearts when they're going through it. Hmm. You're listening to Out of the Fog, and I'm talking with Dr. Alexandra Sharon. Her new book is Getting Through It, Reclaim and Rebuild Your Life After Adversity, Change, or Trauma. And she connects with the public daily on weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time at twitch.tv slash queen of diamonds. Um, Alexandra, there are, you talked about um, receiving that cancer diagnosis. And I know that in my work, I'm often speaking with people who have, I think what it's now trendy to call life limiting diagnoses or issues that 
um, aren't going to have maybe the happy outcome where you jump up and go, yay, all better. And everything's fine now. And right. My dog came back and my best friend came back and the husband came back. How do you, how can we grieve when we, when we might not live, when it's a diagnosis that we might not live through, when it is something that changes our lives so much that we must remake, uh, can't go back to the old way. And I think this is such an important conversation to have because we're told, you know, always keep fighting, you know, and stuff like that to the cancer fighter. But at some point, a person reaches a point where, like you said, life cannot return to normal and that reality needs to be acknowledged. Fighting is not the answer. Maybe it's a divorce where somebody says, keep fighting. So he doesn't deserve to see those children. He's such a drunk. And you have to say, you know, the fight has to end for the children. Or maybe it's like you said, a cancer diagnosis where it's stage four, there's no options except really painful, very long shots. And you just want to spend your last days with your family. You need to have those conversations. And the reason why I call the book getting through it is because recovery doesn't have to mean, okay, you're all better now. Recovery can mean the healing from the trauma associated with this transformational life event, because you can heal from that, even if you need to die, because at that point you can be at peace. And isn't that what we all want? Isn't that the end game for all of us? (laughs) Absolutely. I think. Well, and that compassion piece, which I think is so important, opens mm, opens a more expansive way to look at what our options are mm-hmm. so that I can and the thing about grief is that it it narrows everything down to a tiny dark narrow space and sorrow does that and betrayal does that and fear and anxiety and all those things like that narrow everything down to the smallest tightest darkest most limiting way of looking at things and healing not phony magical thinking healing, but real healing, like what you're talking about in the book, turns us around and lets us see where there are more options, where there's more hope, more change, more chances. And making that decision sometimes to do so, I'll use an example from uh, someone who I know is going through it now, an example of making that decision to stop the chemo, making that decision to put down the court battle, making that decision to let go of something they thought they'd never let go of. Those can be very healing things. Absolutely. And when you talked about that limiting vision, that like tunnel vision, that myopia we get when we're in those spots, I remember being feeling that way when I was just on start of my divorce journey because of course it was my husband of 14 years and my very, very good friend. And those were the two closest people in my life. You know, I was very much in love with my husband. I think about him when I woke up and as I was going to sleep and then my friend was there every day as well. And so I, you know, through my cancer experience, so I thought they were my whole world. They, they took up my whole horizon. They were so big and I thought I could never you know, replace those people. Certainly not. I thought I had suffered this impossible loss. And what I realized, my therapist told me a good thing. She said, well, make space in your life for the things that you've lost 
um, to regain something like that, like a new best mm. friend, you know, because at the time I thought, boy, I can never trust humans again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure. And which, but she said by making space, she meant letting go. And she meant learning to trust people again, just as a concept before I could make those kind of bonds again. Now, let the listeners know how they can connect with you and find out more about your books and your work. And what is this that that you're doing where people can just spring on to Twitch and connect with you? Awesome. Yeah. Um, so you can find my book, Getting Through It, Reclaim and Rebuild Your Life After Adversity, Change and Trauma on Llewellyn's website at Llewellyn.com or in any place where books are sold. So I really highly recommend that you patronize your local independent bookstore because they are hurting after the pandemic. But yes, it can also be found on Amazon. And you can find me on twitch.tv slash queen of diamonds, where I've joined the live streaming phenomenon during the uh, pandemic. It's it's my outlet because I'm a big extrovert. Ah. So, you know, pandemic time has been hard. And so now I I stream weekdays on Twitch and uh, I play a game of cards and chit chat with my listeners. I even did a book release on Twitch. So that was really fun. Yeah, it was great. My publishers gave me some copies to give away and it was a blast. So uh, I'd love to see any readers there or anyone with any questions. You can chat with me live on Twitch. I love it. So that's at twitch.tv slash queen of diamonds. I'm curious because I know that you are also an intuitive. How do you manage your energy in such a public forum to kind of keep everything appropriately nailed down? Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. Grounding and shielding is important. I tell you, you know, it's not as hard on Twitch on live streams with you know, hundreds of people as it is being a public school teacher. I was a public school teacher once. And let me tell you, teenagers energy, (laughs) if you can't find a way to set boundaries with your own energy and uh, a room full of teenagers, then yeah, you're not going to (laughs) survive very long as a teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and some of that grounding probably is plays into what we're talking about, about getting through it too, because if you don't have some basic techniques for bringing yourself back to yourself, it can be really easy to get overwhelmed, kind of get swept away when these things happen. Yeah. And it's a foundational skill for so many other kind of mental superpowers that you can develop for yourself, such as visualization, which can be so key. You know, there was a woman in my cancer support group who was dying of stage four. Unfortunately, she's no longer with us. But in her end days, she was mostly bedridden. The cancer had spread to her bones. And she and her husband would curl up in the hospital bed together and they would share a visualization. They would travel to somewhere magical together. Mm -hmm. And she said that was just the deepest bonding experience and love with her husband that she had ever felt in her entire life. So, you know... (laughs) start working on your mental skills, your meditation, your grounding, those foundational skills, because they can be amazing assets. Alexander, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you so much for listening. 
That is Dr. Alexandra Sharon, and her new book is Getting Through It, Reclaim and Rebuild Your Life After Adversity, Change, or Trauma. And you can find out more about her. You can connect with her. Um, she is streaming weekdays from 11 a.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash queen of diamonds. And of course, you're always welcome over at karenhager.com. It's a great place to find out about upcoming classes and events. You can even book a private session with me there if you are so inclined. And you can find me on social media, Facebook and Instagram. I'm at Fog City Psychic. And I've started to put these podcasts up on YouTube, just the audios for now. Um, just a new way for you to connect with the content. So if you're on YouTube, just search for Karen Hager and you should see me pop right up a smiling picture of me with makeup on from, I don't know, when's the last time I put makeup on? Like 1875 or so. So it's a slightly younger looking picture of me, but there you'll find that all um, (laughs) on youtube.com. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace.